I could tell you that story. Okay, welcome, Laura Davis. I'm so excited to be <laughs> chatting with you. My deep dive down the internet um, highway of healing and mothers and estrangement. I literally have no idea like where the first link came in, but it was one of those where I read somebody else's thing and it linked to you. And then I followed that. And then I was like on the newsletter and getting all the things and emailing you like, we must talk. Right. right. Yeah, I know. It's kind of fun the way we make connections in such a different way than we used to. Or at least then I used to, I'm a lot older than you, but <laughs> I love it. I, love I had it. a whole life before the internet, right? So um, yes, and it really is so phenomenal to find someone. First of all, I have to say, I can't believe I hadn't come across all the amazing books and workshops and writing that you have put out. So before we jump into the new stuff, and I want to hear the story of the title, I want to pause and really ground and honor your whole legacy. It is exquisite. And I just want to affirm and validate that the work you're doing ripples out and will continue. And it's, it's amazing to me how courageous and authentic and wonderful your career has been. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because when I was younger and I like I published my first book at 31 years old, The Courage to Heal, which became with I wrote with Ellen Bass, it became this like underground bestseller and then it like exploded. And we had no idea that was going to happen, but it was just like being in the right place at the right time. And I was so young and suddenly I was thrust into the spotlight. Um, in a hugely pu public way for like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. It was a book about how to heal from child sexual abuse, you know, and I was dealing with abuse from my grandfather. It had just surfaced a few years before we wrote this book. So I was still so much in the throes of my own healing process when this book got published. And then it suddenly, you know, this was pre-internet. So it wasn't like online. It was like hand to hand, it was on bulletin boards, it was therapist to their client, woman to woman to woman, and it just became this phenomenon, um, which in some ways was very humbling and powerful, you know, to, to be the, the source of a roadmap to the healing process that really hadn't existed before. Um, and so many things came from that. Um, you know, my whole my whole career spun out from that, really. Um, but it was it was a surprise. It was shocking to me. It was, um, you know, women, um, you know, auditoriums full of women would come to hear me speak. And because I was representing the possibility that you could heal from trauma and that that you had the power to become empowered and um, yeah, so, you know, that theme of healing has been in my career ever since in one way or another, in a lot of different ways. I've gone down a lot of different routes. Um, I, I did get to a point um, after about five years of being super public with the thing about healing from sexual abuse and being a very public incest survivor, I, I got to the point where I didn't want to be known for that anymore. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I didn't want my whole life to be focused on yeah. this really traumatic thing that had happened to me when I was a child. And so really at the, the kind of the height of my fame in this kind of strange little pocket, um, I walked away from it mm -hmm. um, because I, I had gotten to the point where I had, wherever I went, everyone I met wanted to tell me 
their trauma story. About their trauma, and, yeah. And it was, you know, on one hand, I felt honored and I would listen, but I also wasn't really equipped at that point. I didn't have the psychological, Not a spiritual. <laughs> I wasn't a therapist. I didn't really have the skills to hold all those stories. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I walked away from it and I, I, I started to think, you know, what do I want my life to be about? Mm-hmm. Not just as a response to having had this traumatic beginning. And what do I want my life to be? I don't want it just to be a reaction to this terrible thing that had happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and that just made me, set me on a trajectory of being a seeker and being on a journey. And, you know, I'm a person of words. I've written seven books, so, and I teach writing and I I love language. I was a talk show host, you know, so I, I'm a communicator. So this whole yeah. journey has been to some degree a public journey yeah. for the last over 30 years. It's amazing. It's so wonderful. I just like, <laughs> yay! I love to like cheer on and uplift amazing women, and women acts in our world. So I just, yeah. that is awesome. When you say that you kind of took a different direction, how would you define it after you decided like, I want to move away from just this sexual trauma being the thing I'm always talking about? Where did you kind of go next? Uh, well, you know, I was at that point, I was about 35 years old and I was like, really wanted to have a baby. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, you know, that's what I wanted. I, and I was um, I, ha- I I met my partner, Karen, who I've been with for over 30 years. And she already had a son who was a, an 11 year old. So I inherited a stepson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on our first date, <laughs> I said to her our very first date, I said, do you, are you open to having more children? You know, because it was like I was so tired of dating people who didn't want to be parents that I really wanted that. And I had I had gone through a period um, early in my healing process where I really believed I was too damaged to have kids. I was I was certain I would have to I would repeat what was done to me with Mm -hmm. them and that I just um, would never heal to the point that I would be capable of being a responsible parent, you know, and I was wrong. I, I did heal. Um, and I also, I think, um, you know, and I, I felt like th- that's what I wanted to do. So I, uh, Karen and I had two, two more children who are now in their, um, one's 20, almost 25, one's 28. And um, so, you know, that's, then I became a family person and I kept writing books. I, you know, I wrote a few more books about healing from sexual abuse. I wrote a book about parenting um, with this, this woman who I met who lives in my town, Santa Cruz, California, who's just a phenomenal parent educator. Uh, Mm. Her name is Janice Kaiser. We wrote a book called Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. Mm. Um, And then I wrote um, a book on reconciliation. My first book on reconciliation was called I Thought We'd Never Speak Again. And, you know, each thing I did was somehow grew out of the fodder or the compost of my own life. So at that point, when I wrote that reconciliation book, uh, my mother and I had been really bitterly estranged. Mm-hmm. And we had we had always had a really challenging relationship from the time I, you know, I think when I was really little, it was okay because I did what she wanted. <laughs> but I, as soon as I became an adolescent and I started really uh, coming into my own, and I'm a I'm a strong, powerful woman, you know, with, you know, I'm not like a little fading flower who's gonna <laughs> passively do live the kind of life she thought I should live. So I mean, I confronted her at every turn. I made a lot of really non-traditional choices. 
and and she was just freaked out to have me as a daughter, you know. And she she believed that everything I did, every choice I made, was somehow to spite her. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in her mind, she was the, the or, she was the sun, and I was only um, allowed to be a planet orbiting around her, and that did not suit me. So we were really at odds. Um, and then when I wrote The Courage to Heal, um, and, and, and it was her father who had sexually abused me, and I told her about it and then published the book, that was sort of like the last straw between us. And we, we became really bitterly estranged. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I wanted her to believe me. I wanted her to support mm-hmm. me. I was, I was going through the worst time in my life, and she insisted it had never happened and that I was a liar. And, um, and she wanted me to recant. And there was no way I was going to recant. So we were we were just polarized against each other, and that went on for um, a lot of years. And but eventually, uh, there was something. You know, there just was this some kind of unbreakable thread between us, where no matter what happened, and no matter how I felt she had betrayed me, I was still longing in some way to make peace with her. I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, yeah. but it was always there. And the whole time we were estranged, I was thinking about her. You know, I was thinking about her every day. I, I felt like her voice was in my head. Um, and my, you know, in my heart, which I, I never could acknowledge then, I really longed to try to make peace with her. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted the same. And mm-hmm. so we would attempt to connect and then we would have these like volatile fights and retreat back into our corners. Um, and things, you know, didn't really start to change until I had a baby. And I think that, for one, I think, you know, anyone who has a child, you start to think about your parents differently. You start to think differently about the whole dynamic of the generations and everything. So it was partly that. And that she, she you know, my mother had some very challenging qualities, especially to be her daughter. But she also had some really wonderful qualities. And I watched her um, be a really good grandmother to my yeah. niece. And I... I wanted Eli, who was the, the first child I gave birth to, um, I wanted him to have her as a grandmother. And she desperately, you know, wanted to be in his life. And I think that more than anything motivated us to try to figure out how to have some kind of relationship. And we went through a process for about nine years um, of, of gradually coming towards each other and then having these explosions and feeling like we're walking on eggshells. and. You know, eventually we we basically agreed to disagree about this huge pile of shit in the middle of the room, which was that I said I was abused and she said it hadn't happened. And we started to find actually other avenues for connection. I mean, it's almost like, you know, when there's the, the arteries to the heart are blocked, new arteries start to form. And so we started forming some other connections based on things that we actually genuinely enjoyed together, you know, like. We both loved the movies, simple things. We both loved going to the movies. We both loved the theater. She was an actor for over 50 years. Um, we would spend time with the baby, you know, and we liked to cook together. So we started doing those things. And, you know, gradually we started to thaw out a little bit and become go from being like just so armored with each other to feeling a little bit more relaxed. It started growing and that inspired that book I wrote I thought we'd never speak again you know and so it was because we were healing that relationship um, that I went out and I started interviewing all kinds of other people in all kinds of circumstances Um, and you know ended up writing a kind of a guidebook to reconciliation although I don't I don't believe every relationship can or should be reconciled I I absolutely don't but um, 
I think you could still find a place of peace, even if a direct re relationship with the other person is is not possible. Uh, you know, and it, it's interesting because that at that point I would have said, yeah, you know, my mom and I have reconciled. But then another bunch of years went by. She got really old, um, and we were living three thousand miles far away apart. from each other. Yeah, you know, I was I had moved to California. I always said it was like as far as I could get away from her without mm -hmm. crossing an ocean. Mm -hmm. And she lived in New Jersey, where I had grown up. Um, and we would have we would visit, um, but she wasn't. We weren't in proximity to each other, you know. And there was this buffer between us. Mm -hmm. And um, the the book I wrote, I mean, the new book, the the memoir, uh, the Burning Light of Two Stars, mm -hmm. it tells the story of what happened from the point at when she's like almost eighty years old. She calls one day. And she says, I'm moving <laughs> to your town. Part. I'm moving to your town for the rest of my life. And uh, and it was just out loud. Yeah, ah. it was just like, ah. <laughs> and I, a long I, time ago, I, I offered that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I was very ambivalent. You know, I, I, I felt like I needed that buffer. Um, and I, I had never wanted to take care of my mother. In fact, years earlier when we were really, really estranged, my brother and I went hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park. He lived in Colorado. He sounds amazing, this... by the by. I love him. <laughs> He's pretty amazing. He's, amazing. He's coming out with a new book right now. Oh, like right now, know. same time oh, as me. Check him out. Um, I'll, send, I'll send you a link. Send me but... that link too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, uh, I said to him, I said, look, we had, you know, two parents at that point. They were divorced. And I said, I'll take dad. Like when he gets <laughs> yeah. old, I'll take care of him. You take mom because there is no way that yeah. I could do that. You know, and we had a great, we had a pact. But, you know, of course, my brother broke the pact. And and then here was my mother saying she was coming to to California. And mm. um, and part of me wanted her to come. You know, I think, un, I think underneath mm -hmm. there was kind of a longing, like, could we really actually get even closer? Like, could we, because we, we, we had a very polite relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we had reconciled, but I would not call the relationship intimate. And I, I didn't, mm. I didn't really risk much with my mother. Like, I, I never told her what was really going on with me. Like, I did never saw her as a confidant. I didn't trust her. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I knew how to be around her and enjoy her. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of me was like, I, I would like to show up for her. You know, I would like to be the kind of daughter she needs. And what if at the end of her life, we could actually really heal this thing? You know, so I think that was going on as well as my panic and dread. Um, and and that's, the book tells the story from that, that phone call until her death, what happened. Wait, those... you have to tell the title story now. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I didn't have any time. It took me 10 years to write this book. Um, like you know, off lot... and on, would you say, or it was kind of uh, like it was off and on, but it was on a lot. Um, but I, I, I tried to write it first. Um, the first iteration was a play. Mm. I, I said my mom was an actress. I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll write it as a play. That would be a really honor to her. So I wrote it as a play. I showed it to a friend who was a director, and she just looked at me and she said, "Laura, this is not a play." This has no relationship to a play. You don't know anything about playwriting. <laughs> and then I showed it to someone else who was even more blunt, you know, basically said, like, forget it, you know. <laughs> so I scrapped that. And then, you know, so I did stop for a period because I was so demoralized. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, crushed, actually. 
But the story just kept asserting itself. It was kind of like, I think when you're a writer or a creative person, we have certain stories in our lives that are our stories. And this was like one of my core stories. And yeah. I was like, if I wasn't going to tackle this story, I wasn't going to get anything else instead. <laughs> and so I, I just, I came back and then I tried to write it as a book of letters. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because my mom and yeah. I had corresponded yeah. and had the, I had this amazing cache of letters I had found after she died. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I could do something with these letters and then write. And so I, I used the, the actual original letters. Um, and I also wrote new letters, like letters to her after she died, which yeah. I was writing anyway as part of my grieving process. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'll, and the book was going to be called Dear, Dear Mom. <laughs> and I wrote a whole manuscript like that, which took another year, year and a half, something like that. And I, I had these beta readers, these like early readers who would test out the material. And I gave them that draft. And the feedback I got was, well, it's kind of interesting, Laura, but I feel like I'm on the outside of a private conversation, mm. you know, and um, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not really engaging. So then I gave that up. Um, and then it was like, okay, I'm just going to try to write it as actually as a memoir, like narrative, a narrative. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, I didn't know how. I, I you know, I've written six books before, but they were mm -hmm. all books that were more like how-to, mm -hmm. informational books. I knew how to write something that would educate people or mm -hmm. inspire people and like to really clearly lay out the steps to do something. Mm -hmm. But this, right, tell, writing a story, a book-length story was like, and I've been teaching writing for over 20 years. It was like, I had to level up <laughs> and I, I just didn't wow. know if I was capable of doing it, you know? So that's part of why it took so long. It also took a really long time because I was um, freaked out about what my relatives would say. Yeah. And I, I was keeping it from them. I mean, the people, my immediate family who were in the book, you know, my yeah. wife, my it, three children, my brother, they all knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and my mother had died by this point, you know, so mm -hmm. she, I actually, I did talk to her about it before she mm. died. Um, but, you know, after she died, so, but I had extended family, um, many of whom I had lost relationships with over the courage to heal decades earlier. Yes. And I had mended those relationships, not again, just to a level of kind of being cordial, like we okay. could have Thanksgiving dinner together and we could chat about whatever. But I mean, it's not like I felt it, they were not intimate relationships, but they yeah. were family. They yeah. were family. And I was really terrified that I was going to like lose them all over again. But at the same time, I hadn't published a book in 19 years, in part because this material was coming up. Wow. And I just kept feeling like there's all these topics I'm not allowed to write about. And finally, it was just like, I have to write this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, then then I, I had a, um, a working title, which was Wholehearted. Because to me, that was the trajectory of the protagonist, you know, in a memoir, it was me, you know, if it was a novel, it would have been another character, but I wrote it as a memoir. So I felt like my journey was from being pretty shut down uh, because of what I had experienced, the trauma mm -hmm. I had experienced, mm -hmm. and learning to open my heart. You know, like that was, you know, every every character has some kind of journey. And that was the the spiritual and psychological journey of this character, me. And I, so I really liked that title because it really spoke to me of the journey. And when I um, took the book to a couple publishers um, last year, like the beginning of 2021 is when I got serious about publishing this book. Um, both publishers said, uh, you're probably going to have to change that title. 
And you know, I've, I've, this, like I said, no, this is not my, this is not my, my first. Yeah. Well, I, no, I actually didn't respond that way because, oh, I've, I've, <laughs> you this, knew. like I said, this is book number seven for me. Yeah, and right. I know that publishers know a lot about marketing and they yeah. know about what sells, and that, you know, in reality, the reasons they gave one was that it was kind of a vague title. Yeah, it gave too much away. Um, Brene Brown uses the term yeah, I was gonna say Brene. all the time, right? It's, it's sort of like on right? the wall. It's her. It's her. It's it, people will associate it with her. It's yeah. not like illegal to use it, but right. you know, mm -hmm. maybe not not as ethical. But also just that it would be derivative of her, yeah. Which right. it isn't. The story isn't. Um, and then I went on. I googled wholehearted, and there were like I don't know ten books with that oh, title God. already. <laughs> it was like. And, and I, I was working with this marketing person and she just said, you know, you want to own your piece of the internet. You yeah. want to have a title yeah. that no one else has. Yeah. So this, but this was already like, I, I signed a contract. I, the book was in production. I was recording the audio book and I was, you know, we were getting the copy edited manuscript and it was like heavy duty work. Yeah. And I still didn't have an alternate right. title. So I crowdsourced the title. I, I'm part of a um, Facebook group of other memoir writers and there's, you know, thousands of people in that list. And so I posted there, I'm looking for a new title. And people, I got like hundreds of suggestions. And I posted it on my own Facebook feed, and I got hundreds of suggestions. And um, it was pretty overwhelming. Um, and some of the titles, I, I wish I don't have a list of them right now. I wrote a whole blog post about this, but some of them were hysterical. And a lot of them were too on the nose. You know, that's one of the things I learned in writing this book and that I teach my writing students too, is that you don't want things to be just like direct. You know, you want the reader to have some space. You don't have to spell everything out. And a lot of these titles spelled out too much or they revealed even more than wholehearted. You know, it was like, or they were more like the title for a self-help book than mm -hmm. a story. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had a lot of working, you know, I'd like one for a few days and then it would be like, uh, no, maybe not. And then just kept going through that. Um, and I got up to the point where it was like, it was the deadline. The next day I had to, I had to have the final title. Um, and I went to see Ellen Bass, who was my co-author for Courage to Heal. She's a really good friend. We live in the same town. We've been friends for 40 years yeah. and we were started brainstorming this. And I told her that um, there were a lot of fire imagery in the book. Like yeah. I had yeah. at the in the last draft after like you know, write you rewrite a book a hundred times, no exaggeration. So like in the hundredth time, I went in <laughs> and I started inserting on every page some word that had to do with heat or fire. Mm. So it'd be like burning. Well, the mm -hmm. title obviously mm -hmm. ended up that way. Burning, or it could be like um, sweat or conflagration or wildfire or you know and if you if you didn't hear me say this you would never notice it but actually it's a secret that will help give a book a, a cohesive feeling and create a mood but it's sort of under the surface it's not it's not something you would ever notice unless the yeah. author said i did this so i i knew there was all this fire in the book mm -hmm. and i told her that she said oh i think you should use this robert frost title which was some say the world will end in fire. And I, I thought, well, that is really cool. Some say the world will end in fire. And if you read my book the, all the way through, you would know why it was a good title. I'm not going to give that yeah. away. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. The, 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 the ending. The so, yeah. um, so I thought, that's it. That's the title. 
Um, and then I, you know, I, the next morning I went to my meeting. I said, this is the title. And then it was like, it was so long. Um, and, and then people were saying, you know, if you don't know that it's a, po a, a Robert Frost title, yeah. no, people won't know what it means. And, and then it was just like, oh, no, what am I going to do? But it was, I thought that's it. And then that day I get an email from this woman named Karen Bartholomew. And she had been one of my beta readers, like an early reader. And the thing that was amazing about Karen is that she lives in my town. Uh, she had been a visiting nurse and she had been my mother's visiting nurse. Wow. Like she had gone to my mom's. Yeah. You know, she still had a mobile home before she ended up in assisted living. Yeah. Karen had visited her and like several yeah. times and had a relationship with her. Actually really liked my mother. Um, and Karen called me and she said, how about the burning light of two stars? That's where the so it was Karen who knew my mother who came up with that title after the deadline and I I sent it to my publisher saying you know what about this one it just came in and they said that's the title that's it did <laughs> you I, go back I, and plant it in the beginning because it's in the earlier chapter I swear there's a lot I because when I saw it I was like oh that's where the title comes from <laughs> uh, no I don't think it's nope. in, I don't think it's in the text itself but anyway it was, it was just kind of a great story and i love that karen was the one out of that these she hundreds was the of one people. who found it because you know what ellen said to me she just said laura you cannot crowdsource a title like like this is not this you cannot make and i was i was going insane but i she actually was like your angel that came and dropped yeah the, she was my angel yeah. and i i really liked it but it took me a while to even be able to remember it <laughs> because it was like what was it was it the yeah the bright the burning uh but now I, you know, now I'm really familiar with it. And I think it's the perfect title, you know, and people have really responded very strongly to the title and the image on the cover and the whole thing. And, um, and it's a much more literary title. And I, I want, it is a literary book. It's a story, you know, it's a, I worked really hard on the craft of the story. It's not just, it's not a self-help book. It's like, no, it's a, it's a story where you have to keep turning the pages to find out what's going to happen. And I, I worked hard to do that. So oh. I'm happy it has a more literary um, title. Feel. And the way that you crafted <laughs> the chapters and just the right length because of the intensity, like you're so in it. And so having the chapter lengths that you have, and um, it's just so powerful, like incredible. Thank you for that. Longer. That was actually, that, that, that came at the end because the chapters were way longer, even like a few months before I finished. And I, I set it as actually I set it I set it aside for a year the first year of the pandemic, um, I set it aside, and then at the end of 2020 I thought I I have not looked at it in a year, I could look at it with fresh eyes, and I went in and I started chopping the chapters and making them much smaller and it it creates that propulsive energy where it's like oh yes, yes you know and but I that was at the very end, so thank you for that because it was. Oh. Um, they they were there were really long chapters and i'm really glad they're not now you know they're short i think it's just so potent and powerful and really keeps you in it and i i was like sweating and <laughs> wanting to get to the next and kept like refilling my tea and then i think i had a glass of wine i was like now i need something else <laughs> like there's just I need no something <laughs> I need something stronger then i was emailing you like whoa <laughs> Woo, you know, but I said, I said, I said, oh, so you're liking it. And you wrote back, well, I wouldn't really say it's liking, liking. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impacted by it. 
It was just, yeah, it was all the feels that you want to feel in an incredible, extraordinary memoir or I'm a, I love memoirs. So that's my jam is when someone is actually in, you're in their life and you're in their story and you can't not be, and then you dream about it, that kind of writing. It's just, that's what I live for. It's just so beautiful to have all of those experiences, you know, um, and be confused about, I think one of the things that you keep bringing up is like, the different perspectives that we can have at different stages of our life for different key players in how dynamic their parts are, that they're not all good or all bad. And I think the trauma response in, in my experience tends to just make people all good or all right. bad. Right. Well, that, you know, that's, that's part of, I think that's a big reason it took me 10 years. I, I yeah. think in the early iterations, um, my mother was the villain and I was the hero. You know, yeah. and I was wronged. And I had uh, a good friend of mine who was a creative writing teacher for several decades. She read some early material and she basically just slammed it. <laughs> and it was pretty brutal. Her feedback was brutal. And she said, you know, Laura, this is not the courage to heal. It's the courage to reveal. I wrote that as one of the quotes I wanted mm -hmm. to tell you was like, Shh. yeah. Yeah, and so I, I was like, I, I thought, am I really up for this? You know, because mm -hmm. she just said, you make yourself look way too good. And so, you know, then it was a process of what's the story under the story? And, you know, when I have writing students, uh, that's what I'm always saying. What's the story under the story? What's the part you've never told anyone before? Like, maybe you have this habitual way of reciting this story, or if you're a writer, writing the story. And it's like, this is, you know, this is what happened. And you've it becomes this groove in a record. Um, but what's the part you never told anyone before? And that's that's where the gold is. You know? Do you feel like the the reason this book also is so incredible is because it had all those other versions? Like it actually took the 10 years and the other versions to get here? What's your ideas about that with the writing process and the creative I, process? I think definitely that's true. The in shitty terms of the craft. Like, yeah, <laughs> the shitty first draft. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely true in terms of the craft. Like this is the best written book I've written. And and I a lot of people comment on this was, this is like an amazingly constructed and yeah. written story like it's yeah. so beautiful to read I couldn't put it down that that of course that makes me super happy mm. but so I yes it took me 10 years to do that because I had to learn the skills of propulsive storytelling you know and I had to learn um how do you how do you craft a character who's who's imperfect both me and my mother who are the two main characters like i'll give you one example i worked with a coach uh joshua townsend zellner who was just he's not even a writing coach or um an editor he's a theater director but he just totally understood storytelling and he was the perfect coach for me and there was this one scene where i tell my mother for the first time that her father sexually abused me and it's like a real pivotal scene in the book and the first time i wrote it you know, the early drafts, it was very intense. And it was definitely like I was the, the, the poor little victim and she was the horrible ogre mother. And, you know, so he read that and he said, well, I want you to write it again. And this time write a scene as if she had said everything you ever would have wanted her to say. Like craft a scene where it's the perfect response. And I, so I did that. I was sobbing my heart out. You know, it took me a few weeks to complete that task because I totally didn't want to. And then when I did, it was just so painful. Mm -hmm. But what I discovered in doing that was that 
some of those really positive things that I wrote in the, the fictional scene that I invented actually had happened. So I was able to go back to the original scene with all the like nastiness, and I was able to layer in the actual, the positive that happened. And so when you read that scene, you could see that she really tried. Like she wanted to be there for me, but she was not capable. And so that kind of, it's like, it's creating much more complexity and it makes for much more um, interesting reading. But I, you know, I think the other thing is that in t that's in terms of writing, but just in terms of living. Like I have lived long enough and held this story and digested this primal relationship with my mother for decades now. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I just turned 65 years old. So, you know, this is, I've been living with this for a long time. Yeah. And she's, she's also been dead for seven years. I think mm -hmm. you get a perspective on a relationship when someone has passed that you just don't have when you're still actively engaged yeah. with them. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is my own maturity, you know, and I've done a lot of therapy in my life. And I, so I, I see the whole thing with a much more complex, nuanced lens. And so I was able to write it that way. And I think, so I think it's a much more mature book um, than the other books I've written. I mean, not, I'm not trying to denigrate my earlier work, no, but I feel like it's like, yeah. it's like for me, it's like a capstone, you know, it's like it, it, it takes all that living mm -hmm. and all that psychological mm -hmm. growth and spiritual growth and it all is reflected in the way I look at this story. What and did she say about it? You said you told her? My mother? Yeah. Um, she, she said, um, she said, go ahead and tell our story, darling. It had a happy ending. <laughs> That's what she said. That's beautiful. That's really, really sweet. Yeah. 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 Um, Huh. So hmm. I'm yes, just sitting with that. Like I'm like absorbing mm -hmm. just the sweetness of that given everything. Yeah, because she well, you know, she it, I think the other thing is that if you stay in relationship one of the things I want people to take away is that even the most intractable, incredibly difficult relationship has the potential to change. I mean, you can't guarantee it. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are people who stay permanently estranged and it's better for them, you know? Right. Right. Um, I mean, I wrote an afterword that I, I put in the that. back of the book, yeah. basically yeah. like, yeah. if you're in an estranged relationship, yes. you, you're not necessarily gonna be able to do what I did. And that sometimes the best thing is to keep that distance, you know, yeah. because some it's too, you don't wanna put yourself in a situation where you're continuing to be emotionally or otherwise abused. Right. Um, but I think even in those situations, you still could come to a place of peace internally. Um, yes. One right. woman described it to me. She said she, she had had um, parents who were violent, alcoholic, abusive parents. I mean, and they not only abused her, they abused her children because she made the mistake of thinking, oh, they'll just, it was just me. You know, they're not going to do it to the grandchildren, but they did. So, I mean, she was never going to see them again or have any relationship with them. But what she said to me, you know, after doing a lot of therapy, a lot of work, a lot of spiritual healing, she said, she said, I had to close the door, but I left the porch light on. And I, to me, that was just really, really touching. You know, it was like that she, she got to a place of actually having compassion for these people because to be as violent and shut down as they were, they were living with that reality. That was their whole life. 
Right. And they had never been able to get past whatever had wounded them. And right. so she actually, you know, got to a place of compassion for them. Not not a, not like she wanted to be with them, but she didn't, she yeah. felt like things were like clean between them, you know, and she was able to see them. Like I, I felt like with my mom, I was able to get past just like this mother and this daughter, you know, like this, mm -hmm. and just like open up and see the perspective of her life her childhood, her generation. She grew up really, really poor. She had immigrant parents. Um, I'm, I'm Jewish and there's like all this trauma going so down much. through the generations. So much. And it's yeah. like, it's just, there's so much. Yeah. It stopped being just about the two of us. Right. And I think that it, it felt bigger. like there was more yeah. spaciousness. Yeah. Um, but it took, you know, it takes a lot of years to get there. So beautiful. Do you have a copy of it in front of you? I do. I do. I wanted you to read something to us to close. Okay. And before we do that, because I want you to close with chapter 68, the journey, the 10 hours, if you don't mind. I don't and really want to read. I don't want to read that because I'll read something else. I don't want to give away the ending. Like I, read I feel the part like, you like that. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't, I, there's certain things I don't want to read because I want people to get there on their own. And, I totally and understand. Take the whole journey. When people get the book, Mm -hmm. I want them to just know that chapter 68 is so <laughs> well, it's just, it's like a, this it's its own poem. It's just a, it's like a standalone poem. The way you weave that, the journey chapter, it's incredible. So that's my like teaser for people. So you read what you want to read, okay. but I want all to right. hear in your voice. But before we do that, where can people find you and all of your books and all of your amazing? Yeah. I want to go to a writing workshop, so I'm putting. You that should up. come. You should. You should come know, to I'm Tuscany. Gonna... I'm going. I'm taking a group to Tuscany in June. I um, mean, yes. No. <laughs> yes, I. I um. I had to cancel that. It was supposed to be in 2020. Yeah. And it was supposed to be well, it never was going to be in 2021. And now I'm trying for 2022. And um, I've taken people all over the world. I've taken them to um, Bali. I've gone to Bali five times. Scotland. Wow. Um, um, Spain, um, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, uh, mm -hmm. Peru, and just, it, they're like, uh, it's called Write, Travel, Transform, and it's like um, eco-adventures with writing, and writing, you know, we write for several hours a day, and it really, it bonds the community together and creates just a very cohesive trip, and there's something about having a focus to a vacation Mm -hmm. uh, that's really different than just being a yeah. tourist, you know. So um, I've I've missed taking people traveling, and so yeah. I'm 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 really hoping for Tuscany mm -hmm. in June. Beautiful. Um, and what's your anyway, website? So my website is www.lauradavis.net, and there you could I, I do a lot of online teaching. So um, most of my teaching is online right now, which is interesting because before the pandemic, people would say, you know, oh why don't you teach online? I was like, oh, I could never do that. I, you know, it'll never be intimate enough. I can't build the container that way. And actually I can. <laughs> and I really love, I've grown to really love <laughs> teaching online and I'm continuing to do it. Um, but I, I really want to teach in-person retreats and I'm hoping to have several in 2022. And they're, they're on my website at lauradavis.net. You could also find out about my classes. Um, and in terms of this book, um, I've posted the first five chapters on my website and people could read them for free and it's been great because people women almost every day i get an email from a woman and she'll say you know i'm gonna have to take care of my mother when she gets old i've been dreading it and now i'm thinking about it as an opportunity 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman said, I just called my mother for the first time in 18 years, you know, or I'm thinking about my mother or my daughter in a whole different way. So it's it's very satisfying for me because the book hasn't quite come out yet to get that kind of feedback. Um, so anyone who wants to read these chapters, um, you could just go to www.lauradavis.net forward slash chapters um, and, and you could read it read it there. There's also, um, yeah, there, just go to my site. You'll see all kinds There's of so things. much there. There's wonderful. I, I spent a long time digging around <laughs> and reading and again, feel like I've known you a long time, even though I haven't. Um, you- and my social media links are there too. Um, and then you can, yeah, follow everything on there. Do you, what do you think? I know right now you're going to be in book launch and talking about this book and then do you, what, do you, what's, and the, bringing the retreats back. Yeah. Do you feel, is there another book in the works behind this one? Or is it just like a pause and digest? And It's a pa- pause and digest. I, you know, yeah. I think oh. that that rest is part of the, I have a, my coach, Joshua, he says the creative cycle is um, create, release, relax. Love it. Yeah. And he said, most people don't relax. Yeah. Or, or they don't know how to release. <laughs> they don't know how to put yeah, something out still, in the world. There's just in constant create. Right. And uh, I have to admit, relax is really hard for me. You know, I'm like, I'm a workaholic <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've got so many ideas all the time. I'm like yeah. this font of, <laughs> that has not stopped. So, you know, it's hard for me to, to stop, but um, I feel like in terms of writing, I would love to write another book, but I've never been someone who has the next one lined up. Got it. Like I'm, and I'm so, uh, this year, the only thing I've done this year is two things. One is launch this book and Karen and I got a puppy. So we have a puppy, a nine month old yellow lab puppy. And that's all I've done is, is raise a puppy and launch the book. Um, and, you know, so, and I'm going to, I feel like I, I, having a book is like having a book. Launching a book is like having a baby and, and they require a lot of care, you know, and right now it's, it's like the birth time, but then even afterwards, if you want, I really want people to read it and it takes yeah. the effort of the author to make that happen. So I think yeah. I'm gonna be yeah. continuing in the process of yeah. um, shepherding this story into the world because I think it's, I believe in it so much. Yeah. Um, and then I hope that I find something else. I mean, I've, I have some students who um, wrote memoirs in my class and now they're writing fiction. And I just look at them, they're having so much fun. I mean, they're like, they're making shit up. They don't have to tell the truth. They can, <laughs> and they're really, uncle. really it's enjoying it. And it's not, <laughs> it's not just like the anguish of like combing yes. through their own life and having the limitation of memoir, which is, Ooh, yeah. it has to be yeah. true. You know, it has yeah. to be your story. So I've thought, but I've never written much fiction. So, but you know, there's always a first time. So we'll see. Sounds fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. I want to hear you read a piece of your book, please. Okay. Um, I could could read one of two things. One is the the opening, that phone call I get from my mother. That's kind Mm -hmm. of what's called in writing the inciting incident. It's like what kicks the whole story off. Or this other piece that's a little bit shorter that's about um, kind of my mission, my my. Uh, what I wanted as a character and and what drives the the whole story. Hmm. Preference? I kind of like the second. Okay, I'll read the second one. It's it's shorter too. Okay, so this this scene is um, takes place 
Um, after my mother has moved to California for, for the final years of her life, and she's living in an apartment, uh, a mobile home across town from me, and um, she's having a really hard time. She's developed dementia and insists nothing is wrong with her and that her memory is just fine and that she's perfectly capable of being independent. But she's starting to do things like forget when her, she's supposed to meet her friends and then she blames her friends um, because she didn't show up. And her life is basically falling apart, but she can't acknowledge that it's happening, which is pretty typical of the early stages of dementia. Mm-hmm. And so this takes place, I've vi- visited her. I go across, I've been away on a, actually a teaching a retreat, a writing retreat. I come back after a week and I go see her and I'm like doing all these tasks for her, like fixing her computer and her printer. And, you know, she was, she was just technologically completely incompetent. And so I'm doing all this stuff for her. And, but yet I'm being like, it's like I'm going through the motions of being a good daughter and doing the right thing. But there's like such a barrier between us and I'm really cold, you know, and I'm not, it's not like I'm warm towards her. I'm like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but I'm really like my head is somewhere else. And, and she confronts me about it basically. And, and so this is afterwards and I kind of can't wait to get out of her apartment. (laughs) And then this is what I wrote afterwards. Three decades earlier, I had erected an impenetrable wall between us, a fortress with narrow slits so I could watch her approach. I ensured that my defenses were prepared any time she came near me. I always had an escape plan. It's true we later reconciled, and the fact that we were able to create a functional relationship was a miracle, but it wasn't an intimate miracle because I never took down my wall Oh, I taught myself to be kind to her in a fake it till you make it kind of way, but I still held her at bay. My wall just got subtler. It wasn't permeable. It was hard and opaque, and there was no door. We only met in the antechamber, the common room where guests are received. Only my polished self was on display, my masked self, and only in the antechamber Mom never saw my inner sanctum, and I never saw hers. I got as close as I could within the constraints I had established, but closed is closed, and a closed heart is a lonely one. The price I paid to keep my mother out, at first with withdrawal, later with an armed fortress, and finally with the polite rules of detente was love the pure, unfettered love I longed for, the pure, unfettered love she craved. That day in the kitchen when I couldn't comfort her, I had to face it. My mother was still a stranger to me, with tentacles of need I was loath to touch. I wanted to be more than kind, to do more than merely what was right. I wanted to love my mother just once, freely and with the relief of a lost, exhausted child, beyond words and beyond all pretense. I wanted to lay my head on a place that was safe, just once before it was too late. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) 
all I can say. Thank you. Everyone, buy the book. Stat. And then we can talk about it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You know, if you ever want to have a, if you ever get a group together who wants to discuss it, you know, if you want to do like a little, someone else interviewed me this week and they, um, they're getting their people to buy yeah. the book and then have like yeah. a book, an online book club event with me. And I'd be really happy to do that. That would be so fun. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> Yay. So, so glad you reached out to me. I really have oh. enjoyed this. So, so amazing. I really appreciate your work. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. You too. I appreciate yours. Mm -hmm. Take care. Okay. Bye, Laura. Bye.